aren't you just a sight for sore eyes? Of all the movie and TV joints in all the towns and all the world, you walked into mine. How lovely. Come, sit. Let me pour you a drink before we begin the showing. You know, I think that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Cheers. Here's looking at you, Phil. Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and this one's going to be a long one, so we're going to have to jump in quickly. But first, I do want to thank y'all for helping me to get over 500 followers on Twitter. Yay! I definitely could not have done it without you guys' support, your kindness, your advice, and of course, your listens. So as promised, I'm going to be giving away a few whiskey bottles, but you're going to have to be following me on either Twitter or Instagram, or hopefully both, and interact with a post that I'll be posting on one of both of those platforms next week. And I'm going to be randomly picking winners from there. I'm going to use an app for a random selector and um, so that it's fair. And I definitely just wanted to thank you guys so much and say cheers. Um, now, on to our film, Dangerous Liaisons, directed by Stephen Frears. Now, if you haven't heard of this film, you may have heard of its more modern 1999 update, Cruel Intentions. Dangerous Liaisons was adapted from a screenplay by Christopher Hampton that was based on his 1985 play Les Liaisons Dangerouses, which was also adapted from the 1782 French novel of the same name by Pierre Chauderlot de Laclau. Now, it's based in pre-revolution France, so around like the mid-late 1700s, and the costume and languages reflect as much. So you'll see a lot of large dresses, corsets, heavy makeup, wigs, men are wearing wigs. Now, the film actually won a number of awards, including Academy Award for Best Costume Design. Now, the film released on December 18, 1988, and has an all-star cast. Y'all know I will normally breeze through a cast list, but this one does deserve a few pauses. So, in this film, we have Glenn Close as Marquis Isabel de Marteau, which we'll refer to as Isabel for most of the film. John Malkovich as Vicomte Sebastien de Valmont, so we'll refer to him as Valmont. Michelle Pfeiffer as Madame Marie de Torvel. So we'll refer to her as Marie. Uma Thurman as Cécile de Volange. Um, so we'll call her Cécile. Susie Kurtz as Madame de Volange, who is Cécile's mother and um, Isabelle's cousin. Keanu Reeves as Le Chevalier Raphael Danceny, um, who is uh, Cécile's music instructor. We'll find out more about him. Mildred Natwick, who is this bomb actress who has an illustrious career, and this was actually her very last film. Um, she played Madame de Rosemond, who is Valmont's aunt, and we also have Peter Capaldi playing Azalon, who's Valmont's um, like valet or foot soldier. Do you know who Peter Capaldi is? He's the 12th Doctor Who. He's been in a bunch of other stuff. But he's Doctor Who. So this cast has a stretch. This this cast has some weight to it. Um, watching this film for the first time, first of all, I had no idea about it. Had no idea that all of these people are in this film. And I got a secret to tell y'all. And we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But so I have two men that are like, my, like, girl, what are you talking about? Crushes, okay? Those two men, and I've even told my mom this, and my mom was like, girl, what are you talking about? John Malkovich and James Spader. I call them my vocal crushes because I love the way that both of them talk. Both of them have this way of speaking where they pronounce all of their consonants. 
you they do not shy away from the consonants but they also spend time on the vowels so that you know exactly what word you are hearing come out of their mm -hmm. mouths Anytime I see either of them in anything, I have to watch it because number one, I know that their acting is immaculate. And number two, I just love to hear those voices. Oh my gosh. So um, this story is all about conversation, deception. So I'm going to be dictating quite a bit of the dialogue. Okay. Now, some is going to be exactly dictated and some is going to be in more modern terms. You know how we do. Um, so, and I'm also going to be describing the characters a little bit as we meet them so that you'll have an idea of what they're like. So, as I said, this is going to be a long one. This is going to be a doozy. So now that we have our players, let's press play. Our film starts with a blaring orchestra overture playing dramatic music. Uh, someone is holding a letter seemingly in candlelight with beautiful writing on the front. They flip the letter over, tear the wax stamp, and open it to reveal the name of our film, Dangerous Liaisons. As our film begins, we fade in on the Marquise Isabelle de Mitterl, uh, admiring herself in the mirror. Like, damn, I'm a baddie. She is giving... Oh, look at this. Look at this face. Look at this. Mm, look at this smile. Look at this hair. She's getting pampered, dressed. Her servants, the girls are powdering her girls up, um, spraying her down with the perfumes, making her into her baddie best, making sure her face, her hair are perf. Meanwhile, there's another bougie bitch getting ready too. We don't see them at first. The men come in to pour bath water, offer a morning face towel, and they just kind of barely reach from under the covers to grab it. They do a full face wrap steam. Mind you, this is the 1700s, not modern day. So this getting ready routine, either it means either this is something that they do every day or they're going to do something special. And today is a special day. Now they sit while people show them their clothes options for the day. They pick wigs out. Now, finally, we get a reveal of our second baddie from behind this spy versus spy looking mask. Vicomte Sebastian de Valmont with his fine ass. John Malkovich was actually like trying to give like 1988 sexy, like very much giving Mr. Steal Your Girl from the first sighting of this man. So... Isabel's cousin, Madame de Valanche, that's Susie Kurtz, and her daughter, Cecile Uma Thurman, they stop by. Now, Madame de Valanche is giving like um, uh, normal, like Victorian French realness. She's got the curls, the hat, the big dress. Cecile is younger. She's about, I guess at this point, she would be about 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, she's just coming out as a woman. Um, and she's just starting to learn how to dress, but she's still got, of course, a very young face, very young disposition. Isabel asks Cecile how she's been adapting to the outside world since she has left the convent because she has spent her um, young years learning in a convent. She says she's been okay, and her mom cuts in and says she's been advised to watch, learn, and only speak when spoken to. Suddenly, someone comes in with an announcement card, and Isabel quickly reads it and nods. She tells her cousin that Valmont is there. Madame de Valange looks shocked. And you receive him? Isabel gets this big smile. Yes, so do you. Before his entrance, Madame de Valange quickly tries to explain Valmont to her daughter, saying, He's conspicuously charming. Never opens his mouth without calculating what damage he can do. And Cecile asks, well, why do you receive him, Mama? Well, everyone receives him. <laughs> and he comes in, he bows, kisses hands before Madame de Valange asks if he remembers her daughter, Cecile, because he hasn't seen her since she was a young girl, a baby. Well, yes, but who could have foretold that she would flower so gracefully? Mm-hmm. So he stopped to see Isabel before he dipped off to see his aunt out in Paris. 
But all while he's explaining this, he's staring at Cecile's chest, like right in it. And she's not in front of him, so it's not like he's staring dead on at it. She's standing to his side. So he's standing next to her in front of her mom with his head turned to the side and leaned so that her chest is face height. But number one, he's pretty high in social status. And two, he's a man. And number three, it's the 1700s. So nobody gonna say nothing. Cecile's mom is just like, okay, girl, we, we gotta get you home. So they dip. So once they leave, Isabel is like, you know why I asked you to come? Because apparently he didn't just stop by. She sent for him. He's like, oh, I thought you just wanted my company. She's like, you remember when my ex Bastide left me and started messing with yo girl? Valmont's like, yeah, but I didn't really like her like that anyway. Isabel was like, yeah, you did. Anyway, he's been looking for a wife for a minute and he likes girls that were educated in a convent. So you know what it is. You know who he's looking at, Cecile. He wants that virgin virtue. So my girl Isabel wants Valmont to tap it a couple times for the good time, for the one time, to embarrass Bastide, love and revenge, two of Valmont's favorite things. But he's like, nope, can't do it. What you mean no? He's like, this girl has seen nothing. She don't know nothing. She ain't been around nothing. She's going to be curious. It would be too easy. Anybody could do this. And I only fucks with the big fish. So now Isabel is sort of pouting. And Valmont's like, okay, well, don't you want to know why I can't do it? You want to know what I'm going to be doing? So let me tell you real tea. So, you know, I said I'm going to see my aunt. Well, she has a guest, Madame Marie de Torvel. And that's Michelle Pfeiffer. Marie has strict morals and is famously happily married. That's the conquest that my boy seeks. That's the kind of fish that he goes after. So Isabel says, having a husband for a rival is like lame because you look like trash if you fail and you look real common if you succeed. It's not that hard. And he's like, look, I'm not trying to change her morals. I want her to believe in God and the sanctity of marriage and still want me to beat them brakes off. I want to watch her betray everything that she stands for. I thought betrayal was your favorite word. No, she says, cruelty. It has a nobler ring to it, which it kind of does. Mm. Real quick, I do want to mention that I usually record these at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, but right now I'm recording at 8.30. So if you hear the sounds of New York behind me, um, it is because I usually record when there are less sounds happening. Uh, I am going to try to like cut around them, cut them out, but just in case you happen to hear a car or a closing door or a neighbor, just know um, I'm just recording at a weird time right now. So as the conversation goes on... Uh, Valmont finds out that Isabel only has one lover right now, which is weird for her. And he thinks that she should take another one as he thinks that exclusivity is not healthy. And she's like, oh, you're not jealous, are you? And he's like, well, of course I am. Belaroche is completely undeserving, even though Belaroche is one of his homeboys. Anyway, he's like, well, you should skip out on him and get with me, you know, a real man, you know, so I, so she's like, oh, I ask you for a favor, you say no, but then you expect me to indulge you, okay, well, yeah, I told you why, though, like, I explained the whole situation, I have to go do a real conquest, and as he's telling Isabel this, he leans down and kisses, like, the tops of her titties, and, you know, she got a corset, and is pushing her little chesties up, you know, so they like sitting right at the top of her dress and make the little top meet. He kissed the little top meet and then just like turns to leave. And Isabel is like, mm, okay, okay, wait, wait. Let me know when you get moved, Marie, and I'll give you a reward, you know, a reward. But you gotta have proof, written proof. And he's like, you know, any chance I could get a little advance payment on that, you know? Good night, Vicom. Get out of here. <laughs> so she heads back to her room. And Bella Roche is already there. He's already been received. And he's giving her the mushiest greeting. And she's like, I told you we would get on better if you didn't sound like a cheesy-ass romance novel. So 
they are both asshole best friends, Valmont and Isabel. Let me tell y'all, ever since I saw Cruel Intentions, I have wanted like a friendship like this. Like I want a very attractive man friend who everybody wants, but consistently wants to fuck me and tries to fuck me very often, but not in a creepy way, especially because attractive men are, you know, less creepy. But more in like a, and but not necessarily like, you know, attractive, attractive, but just like more in a like, it just makes sense for us to fuck. Like we have the same energy. We have the same vibe. It would make sense for us to fuck and it would be great if we fuck. But like, it also would probably be weird for our friendship if we fuck all the time. So we just hang out with each other, talk about who we fuck, talk about our little thing or whatever. But also we all always want to fuck each other. That's like best case scenario friendship, but also like. It probably would not work because I'm not a person that is able to like, <sighs> shout out to Cassie from Euphoria. I'm not a person that's able to say no very often. So I don't know if I would have the same resolve as Isabel about Valmont. Like, honestly, like, have you ever had someone who just seems like they have the same energy that you do and you just have a very strong feeling that sex with them would be amazing and it's for that exact reason that you cannot do it because it would just mess up sex with anybody else from then on. And if you could not be with that person, then you would just be out here like vibing, knowing that there's great sex out here, but you can't have it all the time. Yeah, that's what they're giving. Like, just terrible, very sexy humans. <laughs> so, Valmont is out with his aunt and Marie at church. He's not practicing any of the religious rites, but he helps his aunt to kneel, and he's being a gentleman and such. So, after service, Valmont is on a walk with the family, and Marie notes that Valmont did not take sacrament that day. And he says no because of his appalling reputation. She said she's heard. And he's like, oh, from who? Oh, a friend. Hmm. Well, he says he spent his life surrounded by immoral people and was influenced to be that way. Now he feels mostly unworthiness. And Marie says that it's precisely at these moments when you begin to become worthy. Oh. Meanwhile, Isabel is out at the opera with Madame de Valange and Cécile. And she looks over and spots Le Chevalier Raphael Danceny. Um, that's Keanu Reeves. And he's watched, they're watching this beautiful opera and he's got tears streaming down his face. This sweet, sensitive, artistic boy. So Isabel decides to introduce him to her cousin. And Cecile. And it's very clear that he's immediately spit, smitten with Cecile. And she's like blushing too. And after he leaves, Isabel tells the girls that he's charming but penniless. But one of the best music teachers in the city. Wait. Light bulb. Why don't you hire him to teach Cecile? And Cecile's sitting over there trying to hide her little smile. Because she don't want her mama to know that she's really going to enjoy these lessons. Back in Paris, Valmont is going out shooting with one of the servants, Azalon. And as he's leaving, one of the maids is watching him leave and runs to Marie's bedside and wakes her, whispers something to her. Out on the walk, Valmont asks Azalon if he's been getting on with Marie's maid. By the way, Azalon is Dr. Who. I mentioned that earlier. And he's like, I mean, yeah, but she's kind of boring. And Valmont's like, okay, well, happy to know how the sex is going, but I'm trying to figure out if she's going to steal Marie's letters like we talked about for me. Mm -mm, she's not going to do it. But Valmont needs to know who is out here talking shit about him to her. And Azalon is like, well, she says she ain't believe you went hunting this morning, so she was going to have you followed. So she's already worrying about you, sir. So I wouldn't even worry about it. You got it. Sure enough, there's this noisy ass, dumb ass doing a bad job of following behind him and Valmont shoots in his general direction just to mess with him. So Valmont walks into a small village and sees that they're taking things from a Monsieur Armand for back taxes. Valmont asks what he owes and immediately pays it. No questions. Goes in, tells Armand that he's all good. Now he's being followed by all of these children, all of the people in the city. They're asking for money. And he's handing coins and little bits out to everyone. No question. A most charitable man. And after they leave, Valmont tells um, Azalon that that was a perfectly chosen family for his little display. Very respectable. 
They cried. And they didn't have any suspiciously pretty girls in the family that he could be trying to get at. Well done. Well, since bribery didn't work to get those letters from her, um, Valmont is going to bust in and try a little blackmail on her instead. Later, he's chilling in the parlor when his aunt comes in with Marie. And his aunt is like, baby, I heard about what you did for Monsieur Armand this morning. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Auntie. And Marie is like, you ain't got to lie. My footman was randomly passing by and saw your display, saw you being very charitable. And Valmont is like, mm, no, you shouldn't be listening to servants' gossip. And she gets all like blushy and cute. <laughs> so he finally admits to it and his aunt gives him a hug and he kisses both of her cheeks. And then he kind of grabs Marie and forces her into this hug and kisses both sides of her neck. And she looks flustered, but not necessarily flustered in a good way. You know what I mean? Um, and later, Marie is in the, uh, the parlor reading two letters that she received while Valmont sits across from her. And he's already been advised that one letter is from her husband and the other one is from whoever this friend is that told her to watch out for him. And she looks up at him and says that she does not get how someone could be so generous, but also such a degenerate. And he says that she probably has an exaggerated idea of both his generosity and his depravity. Um, but since he doesn't know who's telling her all these things, and she's still not saying nothing, no response. Well, he's going to tell her a little secret. All of it stems from him being a little bit weak. Well, how was a generous donation a weak act? Well, it's because I'm easily influenced. And I did that because I'm being influenced by you. I'm so weak, Marie. I had told myself I wasn't even going to tell you all this, but you make me weak, girl. I love you. I adore you. Please help me. And he falls very weakly onto her lap with a tortured look on his face, falls to his knees, head into her lap, looking up at her. She quickly gets up and walks out of the room fast, heavy breath, and he's following her. She begins to run a little bit, and he runs after her from some distance back. And She shuts herself into her room, but her door is a little cracked open. He tiptoes over, peers through the keyhole, and sees her trying to hurry and loosen her corset so she can breathe. So he is satisfied with his little display. So now he has to go do his other plan. But he busts in on the servant in the maid girl. He said he had been ringing for Azalon for a minute. He needs some hot water. Wait for me in my room. So now he tells old girl that she knows she wrong for doing this. Because they're not supposed to be messing around with the servant. But he can be discreet for her sake. But he going to need a little something in return. And sis sighs and lays back on the bed. He like, no girl, I need them letters. And she tries to be like, no, I can't. But he like, yeah, just give him the Azalon and I want them by midnight tomorrow. And then he throws some money on the bed for her. Boop. So you finna give me them letters. Thanks. So in music lessons, Cecile is on the harp and learning the harp and singing. And Dantzini is on piano. She sounds like she's learning. Okay. Everyone has to start somewhere. So he goes over to help her adjust her hands on the harp and slips her a little note and says, I love you. And everybody had really beautiful handwriting back in the day. So it looks real calligraphied and real beautiful. So later on at the opera, Cecile is confiding in Isabel, asking if she should answer Donsony's letters. And Isabel tells her that it's not really her place to tell her this. But, um, yes, it would be wrong because her marriage has already been arranged to Bastide, a man that Isabel knows slightly. Hmm. They're to be married in the new year, and he's 36. 36? Well, that's an old man. Well, Isabel has decided to help her young cousin. You know, as long as she can see both sides of the correspondence, she can help her get these letters off. Just She just needs to reassure herself that she's not on the wrong side of the situation. And Cecile is so grateful. Back in Paris, Marie is out for a walk. She, quote unquote, runs into Valmont, who tries to tell her like, oh, I ain't sleep well. You know, I was thinking about you. And she is already ready. She was like, I expected you to have more respect for me than that. 
What you did was unforgivable. And whoever I've been talking to is probably right about you. So he tells her that before her, he had only experienced desire, never love. And while he can obviously see that she's beautiful, he's become fascinated by her goodness, even drawn in by it. And he doesn't want to have her, only to learn how to deserve her. He'll do anything, she says. I want to learn how to deserve you. Look, if any man ever says, I don't want to learn how to deserve you, he finna get that God card. I'm, I'm so sorry, y'all. But like, I'm just saying, like, any man says that to me, I don't know. If he's, if he's on the up and up anyway... Okay. <laughs> okay. So she's like, mm, okay, you'll do anything I say. Well, mm, I'd like you to leave the house. <laughs> he was not expecting that. And if he won't leave, she's going to leave. So he's like, all right, you got it. But can I ask you a favor too? Can you tell me who told you about me? Well, of course not. She's not going to tell her him that. That would be betrayal on her end. Okay. So let me write you letters and you can answer them back. Well, she don't think she should be doing that either. He's like, so you just not going to give me anything, not even a letter? Like, I done confessed my whole love to you, and you can't even give me, like, a little... You can't be a little nice. You hate me that much? And she's like, look, I'm not doing this because I hate you. Well, why then? And so she just dips, and he know he getting to her. So next night, old girl brings Ozalon the letters. He gets them to Valmont, and we find out who this mysterious person is. Madame de Valanche. <laughs> so, as promised, he dips and he heads home. For his first letter, he's writing to her on the back of a naked woman that he has presumably had a little session with, you know. And he stops writing the letter to get another little session in. So, my man is not lacking. Next day, he goes to see Isabel and he says, your damn cousin, the blonde bitch, wanted me away from Madame de Torvel and now I intend to make her suffer for it. How can I help with your plan to ruin her daughter? This man, now he's ready because now he pissed. Well, Isabel told uh, Dancini that Valmont would be his advisor and confidant in the situation. And she needs help getting Dancini to be more about it, direct, forward. Because he, as most intellectuals are, is stupid. So then Valmond and Isabel have this great conversation. So Valmond asks Isabel how she managed to invent herself. And she says she had to because she's a woman. Women are obliged to be far more skillful than men. You can ruin a woman's reputation and life with a few well-chosen words. So of course, she had to invent not only herself, but ways of escape that no one has ever thought of before. And she succeeded because she's always known she was born to dominate the male sex and avenge her own. Well, all that's well and good, but like the question was not why, it was how. Well, at 15, when she came out into society, she used that time in which she was supposed to sit and be quiet, listen and observe. She wanted to observe and listen to not what people told her, but to what they were trying to hide. She learned how to look cheerful, but remained detached as under the table she stuck a fork in the back of her hand. She became a student of virtuosity to learn exactly how to appear to others who would never believe a woman could be so clever. And if she wants a man, she has him. And if he wants to tell, he finds that he can't. Well, Valmont asks if that's their story as well. She tells him that she wanted him before they ever met. Her self-esteem needed it as his reputation preceded him, right? You know that, like, a guy is so famous and he's fine and it's like, I know that he done slept with a million girls, but, like, I also need him to sleep with me as validation because I know he only sleep with the baddest bitches. That kind of feeling, right? She said when he started to pursue her, she wanted him bad, like bad, bad. But this sexy-ass convo is interrupted by the sudden appearance of a bitch, Madame de Valange. Well, so Isabel is beside herself. She has reason to believe that a dangerous liaison, title drop, has sprung up between Cécile and Dancini. And she's delivering this news to Madame de Valange while Valmont hides behind a corner. 
At first, Madame de Valange completely dismisses it until Isabel tells her that she saw Cecile hurrying to stuff an envelope into a drawer where there was a bunch of envelopes. And she's definitely not receiving a bunch of letters by post. So who else could be giving her those letters? Well, Madame de Valange is so grateful that Isabel told her. And Isabel also mentions that if Valmont's aunt had invited her and Cecile to visit, some time in the country might be good to get them away from each other. You know what I mean? So Valmont was about to head out to see this other woman whose husband is away. But now there's only one place that he can go to get his revenge. Back to his auntie house. Okay. And he can work on his other plan. So... He's still trying to get that <clears throat> advance from Isabel on the situation, but she needs that proof and writing. No other way. Madame de Valange goes straight to Cecile's room and finds those letters, and Cecile literally just passes out. So they head to Valmont's aunt's house. Valmont, his aunt, Madame de Valange, Cecile, and Marie are all sitting in one room. Valmont is trying to show Cecile that he has his letter in his hand and he's trying to sneak her, but this girl is dumb and he has to literally walk up to her face and wave it like four times before she sees it. Madame de Valange is watching him like a hawk though, so he's trying to be cool and keep it hidden a little bit. So his aunt is starting to tell Madame Valange about the family that he helped the last time he was there, but he definitely doesn't want to get into all that. Um, so before she can get into it, Valmont says that Marie looked like she's about to pass out because she, her eyes started rolling and he was like, oh, mm, girl, I think you better pass out. And so Madame de Valange runs to her. His aunt runs to her. He runs to her. Now she's fine. But while they're all fussing over Marie, he throws the letter into Cecile's lap. Now all the ladies are going for a walk so that Marie can hopefully get some air and Cecile trails a bit behind so Valmont snatches her shawl and tells her come back for it. So she runs out, comes back, Valmont says I gotta be brief so I can't create a diversion for you every day to get you these letters so I need you to steal your room key from your mom's room. I have a dupe. Put that key in your mom's room. Give me the key. I'm going to make a copy. I'm going to give it back to you. And then you can put that key back in the room. And then I can bring those letters to you every day. So off she goes to go do the plan. Valmont goes outside to check on Marie. And she got a little attitude. He said he was going to leave. <clears throat> But I did. And now I'm back. Thanks. Bye. I gotta run. Madame de Valange is going in to check on Cecile, who has dropped the key into a vase. This poor girl is trying to reach her hand into the vase and grab for it like a dummy. So Valmont runs in, sees her doing this. He turns the vase over. It falls out, you know, but he has to dip out quick before her mom comes in. Cecile lies and tells her mom that she came in to grab her mom's shawl for her as well. When they pass Valmont, he expects her to hand him the key. She shuffles away before he finds the key on one of the stair landings that she had just passed. Nice. He goes back outside. He finds Marie. Why are you so mad at me, girl? Because I can only offer you friendship, Valmont. Well, that's not going to work for me because the old me would have been content to get your friendship until I could get you to give me what I want because I was going to get what I want. But this new 2.0 version of me, I have to be honest about my feelings. I love you tenderly, passionately, and above all, respectfully. So she's like, why can't we just be friends? But he like, well, you not being friendly. Now, this is this like backward circular talk that he always does with her. Whenever she doesn't give him what he wants, he's like, oh, well, you're not being friendly. But he's clearly asking for more than friendship. So it's, it's kind of messed up. But he's like, you not being friendly. So he says that you misjudged me. I genuinely care about your happiness which is what he means when he says he loves her. He cares about her happiness. She wants to end the convo. So she, he's like, okay, well, I'll leave the ball in your court. He walks away and she calls out for him and he dips back like, what? But she's like, nothing. So he just stares at her for a moment and dips and you know, it's starting to work. Well, that night, Valmont shows up at Cecile's room. He pulls the covers off of her while she's still sleeping, caresses her really lightly, then wakes her up. She's a little startled, but she's like, oh, you have a letter? He says, no. And then he falls onto her roughly and tries to kiss her. She tries to scream. He covers her mouth, and he reminds her that 
he has a copy of her key. And her mom will know that he came at her invitation because how else would she he have gotten the key? She asks what he wants. And when he starts to reach between her legs, she freaks out. And she's like, no. So he calms her and says, he just wants a kiss. I just want you to kiss me. That's all. So she's like, that's it? And you'll leave? He's like, yeah, kiss me and I'll leave. So he kisses her, lays her back on the bed. So that's it, right? Hmm, no. She, he said he would go when she gave him a kiss. and He gave her a kiss. That's different. So he tells her, you know what? We should just go ahead and get more comfortable. Well, the next morning, Cecile can't even look in Valmont's direction. He keeps making faces at her and flicking his tongue out until she ends up fleeing the table. And her mother has to chase after her to see if she's okay. Well, the next night he comes to her room and the inner, inner door has been bolted. And she is weeping in her room. And she's writing to the only person that she knows will understand. Dear Cousin Isabel. <laughs> Isabel is more than amused at hearing these new developments. But now she has to go check on Cecile because she won't speak to anyone about what's troubling her. So off she goes to Paris. First, she asks if Cecile protested. Well, you know, as much as I could. So are you saying he forced you? Well, not exactly, but Cecile said she couldn't say no. He just has a way of putting things where you can't think of an answer. And even though she was saying no, she wasn't necessarily doing no things with her body. But now she's ashamed, you know, this is her first time and women are not supposed to enjoy those types of things as far as she knows. Isabel says, you'll find the shame is like the pain. You only feel it once. So here's Isabel's suggestion. Let Valmont teach her a thing or two, you know what I'm saying? And go ahead and marry Bastide. But also keep Dawsony. And Cecile is like, so I gotta do that with three different men? Sis, provided you do it right, you can do it with as many or as few men as you like, whenever and however you like. Basically, just learn to enjoy the process, girl. So later that evening, Isabel congratulates Valmont on his revenge and tells him that he'll find Cecile's door unbolted from now on. While they're waiting for Marie to emerge, Isabel notes that it seems that Valmont is enjoying his little game with her more than he's actually trying to win it. But all in due time, during a musical performance, Marie comes in and Isabel seems amused at first until she notices Valmont staring intensely at Marie and it doesn't look like it's a joke. However, he kisses Isabel's hand very lightly, gently rubs her back, you know, sort of like, oh, baby, I'm here with you, before sneaking another peek at Marie, who looks absolutely ethereal. She is glowing. Now, Cecile and Valmont are meeting that evening for a little tryst, and she is way more playful and cute about it this time. Valmont is trying to make this into a genuine lesson for her while she just wants to get to it, you know? And she mentions that her mom would never talk about any of this. And Valmont tells her that her mom used to get at, get at it in her heyday. Like, more known for her enthusiasm than her technique, but she could get down. And he knows that because... He also got down with Cecile's mom. What? So, Bess Marie, Valmont goes for a walk with her almost every day. A little further down the road every day. And they're pretty much friends now. And he feels that she is inches from surrender. So that evening, he runs into Marie on the way to the parlor. But she says that everybody's gone to bed. So, no point in going to the parlor. They didn't get to go for a walk that day because it was raining, and as she heads back to her room, he asks if he can come in, and she says, yeah, and he looks really thrown off because he ain't expect her to say, yeah, and he tells her that his business there is going to finish up in a week, and even then, he may not be able to bring himself to leave. She is vexed. She needs him to leave so she can continue to see his integrity and be grateful for it. But he don't want her gratitude. He needs something a little deeper than the gratitude. She says that God is punishing her for her pride, for thinking something like this couldn't happen. Like what? Mm-hmm. She finally gets her to admit it. She is in love with him, and it hurts. It is paining her. He kisses her neck, and she falls to her knees, begging her to leave, begging him to leave if he doesn't want to kill her. She is weeping. 
She's having a breathing fit like she was earlier. So he picks her up, carries her to the bed, and helps her loosen the top of her corset so she can breathe. And she's giving him the, you know, loosen up my buttons eyes, you know, arms pleasant. <laughs> so he starts to go in for that kiss. And she ready. She giving him the eyes like, all right. She's leaning up into the kiss. Buddy pulls away. So she starts crying. Of course. She she finally decided to give herself to this man. And then he like, nah. So she starts weeping. He leaves. Calls for his aunt. Says Marie might be sick. His aunt offers to call a doctor. But Marie is like, no, can you please just sit with me? And meanwhile, he's just sitting in the foyer. Waiting to see if there's any news. Well, Marie tells Madame de Rosemond, Vermont's aunt, she has to leave. She's in love. Madame de Rosemond is not surprised. And when Marie says she's miserable, Madame says, those who are most worthy of love are never made happy by it. Men don't love the way women do. Men enjoy the happiness that they feel. We can only enjoy the happiness we give. They're not capable of devoting themselves exclusively to one person. So to hope to be made happy by love is a certain cause of grief. So Maria's like, look, I know he ain't shit, but he could have just gotten my cakes like right now. And he took pity on me. Madame de Rosemont says, if he has released you, my dear child, you must go. Girl, when I tell you I fell back when I heard that, if he has released you, you must go, girl. This is your only chance. Oh, Lord. So, Valmont is woken up early, early by Azalon. Marie is dipping fast. She ain't say nothing to nobody. And Valmont has her followed. He wants to know everything she does. After a bit, Azalon reports back. She hasn't been eating much, hasn't had a single visitor, and the book by her bedside is Christian Thoughts, Volume 2. But their convo's cut short. Isabel has come to visit with Dulcini. Sweet, doe-eyed Dulcini. He is so grateful for all Valmont's help with Cecile. He has no idea how much help he's been. <laughs> no idea. But Dulcini says his last letter from Cecile was different. Well, of course it was. She was writing the letter on Valmont's back during one of their nightly sessions. And Valmont reports to Isabel after Dancini goes out to the coach that Cecile is two weeks late. <laughs> so Valmont is very proud of his efforts. And he wants Isabel to be proud of him too. So as much as he's done in this situation, he has still fumbled the thing with Marie. He admits to Isabel that he let her go because he was moved. However, he's supposed to go see her on Thursday and he plans to be merciless. He starts talking to Isabel about how much he loves and hates Marie all at the same time. But Isabel is bored. <sighs> she only wants to hear about it if he succeeds because this is taking way too long for her tastes. So now it's Thursday. Valmont's at Marie's house. He is declaring that he needs a formal reconciliation with her because he, she claims that he insulted her. And she treats him with contempt. Contempt? Yeah, yeah, contempt. You dipped in the middle of the night. You won't answer my letters. Obviously, you must hate me. So he declares his love for her and says he must either have her or death. She walks away. Okay. Death it is. I only wanted your forgiveness so I could die in peace. Thanks. So she's like, uh, I, I thought you understood where I was coming from. Uh, yeah, and where you're coming from has dictated where I'm going. Bye. So, of course, she comes running after him saying, no, please, no, please. And then, magic. They finally kiss. She crying. And she asked, he asked why making him happy makes her so upset. And she says, you're right. I can't live either unless I make you happy. No more refusals. No regrets. <laughs> so he went on and got that thing, right? Mm. Next day, he come running up the stairs, two stairs at a time, to Isabel. And he's, success! He's spilling all the tea about how it went down. But Isabel doesn't care how it started. She just wants to hear about how that thing was thangin', you know? He says it was 
unprecedented and had the kind of charm that he'd never felt. She was astonishing, so much so that afterwards he dropped to his knees and pledged his eternal love to her. And at that moment, and for several hours after, he actually meant it. Well, Isabel is not into hearing that. He usually talks about his conquest like a job, and this is different. But Valmont is still here to get his, you know, his reward. But he don't got that letter. And anyway, Isabel may have to cancel this whole thing, since clearly she's just a prize. And he is so in love with this other girl. And by the way, she has taken a new lover who is doing just fine. Boop! Isabel is mad mad because she can see that he is clearly in love. And he swears he's not. He could never prefer Marie to her. But Isabel is smart. She know what love looked like. She's been watching people for a long time. And they loved each other once too. He tells her that he has no illusions and he wants to come home. He kisses Isabel's neck and she melts into him. Then he says, as for this present infatuation, it'll pass. It can't be helped. Isabel gets pissed, storms off. You can tell Valmont is mad satisfied that he got to piss her off a little bit. So she runs to meet with her lover, but not before stopping to have like a little sad moment because she know her boo in love with somebody else. Mm. Isabel writes Valmont a letter saying that she has to go away for a minute, but when she gets back, they'll spend one last night together as per the agreement, provided he's able to get that proof in writing that she asked for. Well, Valmont's chilling with this lovely woman wearing a most gorgeous gown doing a lot of kissing. At first, Valmont says that she should leave because he has a lady visitor coming. But on second thought, maybe she should stay. Lady visitor? Marie. She's on her way in and she is practically running to get to her boo. She can't even stay behind Azalon because she's trying to get in. She comes in and Valmont is giving this girl some money. Then the girl leaves giggling on her way out the door. So Marie knows the deal. She asks if the girl is a courtesan and he confirms. And Marie is mad. Now she's trying to leave. But Valmont sits her down and calmly explains that he knows her past. I mean, she knows his past. And in his past, he met a lot of people in a lot of less than desirable professions, much like courtesan, but they still do charity work and collect donations. And he was just providing a meager donation. And if he wanted to hide that girl, he could have had her leave. He knew Marie was coming up. She was announced. So all of this is like this psychological plan to get Valmont to be able to play with Marie. It's so weird and cunning, but anyway, he really does have a way of talking his way out of anything. So now Marie is cool. And they have the sex. They say the I love you's. And Valmont asks when Marie can start writing to him again. But after this, he also has to go meet with Cecile. They chilling. He thinks he hears a noise. So Cecile rolls onto the floor. And when he says it's only the wind, he can hear her crying, which is like a really weird response. Until she tells him that she's bleeding. No. <laughs> So Valmont decides to drop in on Isabel and happens to find her in bed with her new lover, Dantsini. <laughs> so he tells Dantsini that he's actually been looking for him. Cecile was ill, but she's well on the way to recovery. However, she's been back for two months and hasn't seen him yet. Well, Dantsini is anxious to hear about Cecile, jumps out of Isabel's arms to hear about her. Once again, a man getting excited about a woman that's not her in front of her. However, Valmont has something for Isabel. A letter. Mm-hmm. So after a little back and forth, including about Cecile's miscarriage, Isabel finally says that if he would be his old charming self, she would invite Valmont over next week because she does still love him despite his faults and her complaints. However, she tells a long story down a short staircase about a man who continuously would say that things could not be helped and eventually became the laughing stock of his town because he was so in love with this girl and it couldn't be helped um, until he went and broke off with this girl and continuously said that it couldn't be helped. So he's she's basically in, insinuating that she has one other requirement for their night together. He's going to need to give Marie up. Otherwise, he's going to become a laughing stock and she can't sleep with a laughing stop. And so he goes. First, 
When he comes in, he holds on to Marie like it's the last time he's ever going to hold her. Then all of a sudden, he tells her he's bored. It's been four months. There have been other women, and one specifically that he adores and is insisting that he give Maria. And he keeps saying that everything is beyond his control. Beyond his control. He even flings Marie to the other side of the room and suggests that she take another lover. It's all beyond his control. He grabs her hair, and he says he can't bring himself to regret leaving her. Just evil. It's beyond his control, though. He leaves. And of course, as he's leaving, he begins to cry. Now he comes to Isabel asking what happens now that he's broken with Marie. She is very pleased. He says he's never felt greater triumph. And the only greater thing that he could do would be to win Marie back. But Isabel is pretty sure that he can't because when one woman strikes at the heart of another, the wound is fatal. But Isabel says that this is her greatest triumph. Not victory over Marie, but victory over Valmont. He loved that girl, clearly. Still does. But he was so concerned with being embarrassed, concerned with being a laughing stock, that he unleashed onto Marie with a viciousness that she definitely never deserved. His vanity got in the way of his happiness. Well, now he's pissed. And he says that it's Isabel's turn to make a sacrifice and Dawson he has to go. But you see, one of the reasons that Isabel never got remarried is because she is not about to be ordered to do anything by a man. Valmont says that he has made Marie ill with this bullshit. So the least Isabel could do is stop messing with that boy. And Valmont slaps Isabel in the face. She don't even flinch. Well, that's all beside the point. Valmont says he's here to spend the night and he won't be turned away. But Isabel already has other plans. Oh, oh, you mean Dancy? Oh, he's not coming. See, I arranged for him to spend the night with Cecile. Oh, right. He did tell Valmont that he was expected at Isabel's house, but when he realized he had to make a choice, oh, well, the boy didn't hesitate. And he's coming tomorrow to offer Isabel undying friendship, girl. So, yoink, you thought that boy had undying devotion to you? Find out what devotion really is. Well, now Valmont is ready to go upstairs because he done waited long enough for this. It's a yes or a no, but a no is a declaration of war. Well, all right. War. Got it. Marie is literally dying in a hospital, like, of heartbreak. They're bloodletting, all sorts of mess, and nothing is helping. So Isabel ends up writing a letter to Dawsony to tell him that Cecile has been messing with Valmont. So Dawsony wants to fight. They have a sword fight, long sword fight. Valmont goes down. As he's bleeding out, he gives Dantzany two pieces of advice. First, watch out for Isabel. And he knew Dantzany may be skeptical of that first piece of advice. So he brought all the letters she sent him during this escapade and tells Dantzany that after he reads them, he's welcome to circulate them. His request is that Dawson go see Marie and tell her that while he can't explain why he broke up with her like that, since he did it, his life has been worth nothing. Her love was the only real happiness that he has ever known. And then he dies. Dawson goes and tells Marie what Valmont says. She dies of a broken heart shortly after as, as well. Meanwhile, she hears, uh, Isabel finds out about Valmont and she's a mess. Crying, she breaking shit, tearing at her own skin, throwing stuff around her room. But that evening, she heads out to the opera as per usual. She gets there with her fake ass smile on, puts on a brave face. And as she walks in, the whole room stops, stares at her. And it starts with one boom. Everybody start booing, sis. Everybody in this room, in this opera house, is booing Isabel. <laughs> Musicians and all, everybody is booing. The jig is up. So apparently these letters have gone into circulation. Everybody knows how she really is. She retreats and heads back home to wipe that mask of makeup off and feel her feels alone. And the movie basically ends with the same visual as it started with, except for happy face. Instead, there is a sad face. So let's talk. 
This movie has always been delightfully tragic for me. It's a Scorpio's dream. I feel like this movie, if we were going to assign movies to astrology signs, Cruel Intentions or Dangerous Liaisons is the Scorpio movie. There is mystery, there's intrigue, sex, love, deceit. It feels like dark red roses with black lace and like pearl teardrops. Like, I don't know why. Like, it has that dark, sexy feel. There's lots of themes and subjects, of course, up for discussion, but... I want to talk about something specific, the casting. Um, We're also going to talk about something else in a moment, but I want to start with talking about this casting because it's the thing that makes this film sparkle a little bit for me, for sure. I've mentioned Cruel Intentions, and I definitely saw it before I saw this film. Now, the 1999 update starred Reese Witherspoon, Selma Blair, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Sean Patrick Thomas, and Ryan Phillippe, right? All very good-looking people. So for character comparison, Glenn Close would have been Sarah Michelle Gellar. And we'll put her on the side table for a second, but she's beautiful, okay? Michelle Pfeiffer would have been Reese Witherspoon, both gorgeous girls. Uma Thurman, Selma Blair, those characters have this innocent kind of beauty. Keanu Reeves would have been Sean Patrick Thomas, both very handsome innocents. It matches up. And then there's John Malkovich. It matches up with Ryan Phillippe. Now, I already mentioned earlier that John is one of my... Now, hold on, hold on. Let me explain crushes anyway. So, I'm here for it. But we have to state the obvious, okay? In 1988, there were a plethora of Hollywood hotties that they could have pulled from. And Tom Cruise was literally the highest grossing actor of 1988. But, for one of France's most notorious playboys, we went with John Malkovich. Small frame very pronounced, almost effeminate speech pattern, very long face, receding hairline. Not exactly what you may picture upon reading about this fantastic playboy lover. But whether they meant to or not, his casting tells another story. From the moment we see him for the first time, powdered wig and all, he commands the room. Glenn Close exudes this like sneaky grace that can't quite be placed, But as he enters the space for the first time with Madame de Valange, Cecile, and Isabel, Valmont bounces around with his boyish charm that immediately gives us like a little smirk. When he lounges wide-legged on the love seat or flirts with any number of women and sort of bats his eyes at them, we can almost see how he could charm a girl. But it's the words that matter the most. Cecile tells Isabel after the first time with Valmont, which I'm... Still, it's kind of weird because it feels like it was a little bit like assault, but also maybe not, but it was. But anyway, she says, he just has a way of putting things where you don't have an answer. We've all known at least one guy who could like talk his way home with women that seemed way out of his league just by being funny or charming or, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him myself right now. Do y'all know who Owen Gray is? If you don't, I will not labor you to look him up. He is an adult film star, pretty normal looking guy, white guy, good, decent looking face, very cool tattoos, these alphabet tattoos on his legs that have become sort of notorious. He's on the thin side. But the thing that makes him special is the way that he does business. He has sex the way that sex is supposed to be had. It looks like the women in the films with him are actually enjoying themselves. And it looks like he is as well. He's not like pile driving and just pumping aimlessly the way that people seem to think that sex is supposed to be. He's got that kind of like intuitive, reciprocal, intimate sex style, which is always known to be memorable. I have a feeling that Valmont, has that kind of appeal to women, as he is well known for his bedroom exploits. He seems like a skilled lover, enough to be considered a teacher to Cecile, and enough to have women still looking to bed him despite his reputation, a reputation that he never really tries to hide until he meets Marie. And even then, he doesn't hide it. He just uses it to his advantage. It becomes even more apparent as during the latter parts of the film, as he becomes more frantic, Valmont begins to look unhinged. 
When he comes in to announce to Isabel that he's broken with Marie, his normally neatly coiffed hair is wet, messy. He looks kind of like a wet dog. His clothes are disheveled. His normally cool face begins to take on this sharp, dark shape covered in shadow, while Isabel continues to look soft and composed. It's his confidence, his charm, his way with words that made him irresistible. And you know what? Valmont was sexy when he was falling in love. The way that he would look at Marie, the small smiles on his face as he talked about their first night, even his dying moments as he softly professes his love to her. He's gorgeous. John Malkovich is gorgeous, which is a strange thing to say out loud. But the character of Valmont has framed him into this gorgeous man. And you can't ignore how the character has influenced the way that we see John. Now, you may know that Ryan Philippi and Reese Witherspoon started their relationship during the filming of Cruel Intentions as Annette and Sebastian, which would have originally been Marie and Valmont. What you may not know is that John Malkovich and Michelle Pfeiffer had an affair during filming, and John Malkovich ended up leaving his then wife shortly after. Now, I'm not saying that this is a Spider-Man situation, but I am saying that I feel that the role of Valmont has to have some kind of effect on whoever plays that role and whoever plays opposite him, because the sex appeal is undeniable no matter who is playing that character. The other piece of discussion, Isabel. Now, as far as looks go, she is always perfectly done up, almost to the point of looking uncomfortable. These beautiful gowns, tight corsets that make her figure look immaculate. She looks stuffed into them, though. Her makeup is perfect, but caked on like a mask. Hair is always perfectly curled and pinned. Even when found in bed with Dantzany, she never looks out of place. Everything about her is adjusted to look better to the naked eye from a distance. But up close, it's all false. Cecile wears minimal makeup because she's young fresh. Marie doesn't wear makeup much because of her piety. So we have these two characters who are very exposed, very honest, truthful, even in the way that they look. Isabel is the only one that has her battle armor on at all times whenever we see her. Now, Isabel sees Valmont as her only equal, and I think assumes that he would see her as his only choice as well. It's sort of like Beyonce and Jay-Z, like, if they break up, who is Jay-Z going to date? Or who is Beyonce going to date? Like, they almost seem made for each other. Now, when we see Isabel and Valmont together, they're comfortable, old friends. The kind of friends that, like, never get married to anybody else, but they eventually marry each other when they get tired of being by themselves. That kind of, like, dynamic they have with each other. Isabel values Valmont because not only does she value his wit, his prowess, sense of humor, but she enjoys having someone to talk to about her sexual side, her sexual exploits. As women, we are often asked to hide these things, and at her time, she could never discuss things like this with any of the ladies. And while Valmont could certainly discuss his exploits with many other men, his exploits run deep, like deep into other men's wives and deep into other men's daughters. So having a lady confidant for him is perfect. But see, here's the thing. Isabel and Valmont aren't B and J. They're more like Kanye and Kim. Kim being Valmont and Ye being Isabel and Marie being Pete Davidson, of course. Now Valmont had a type. Women that would be challenging to other men, but easily fell to him. Isabel knew this. And when Valmont took Marie up as a challenge, Isabel didn't consider how honest Valmont is. You see, Isabel has learned how to play a role to get what she wants in any case. She's been doing it for a long time, and she knows how to bury her feelings and live the lie. However, Valmont doesn't live in a lie. He's always had a reputation, and everyone knows it. He couldn't even keep it from Marie, but he's learned to use that reputation to his advantage. He doesn't lie about it. So getting to know this woman who, despite his reputation, 
and her deep devotion to God and marriage was willing to risk it all for what she thought may be actual love, he never expected that and wasn't able to lie in that situation and say that he didn't have feelings for her too. When he talks about their first time, he talks about surrender. When women have sex, we're often in our heads about how we look, how we're performing, how we may be viewed after, how we smell, just any number of things. Except for those special passionate encounters where we get lost in it and surrender to the whole thing, just feel all the feels. And I'm sure that men go through this as well, but I can only speak from my side. This woman, who most assuredly had been in her head this whole time about Valmont, gives herself to him in a way that I'm sure felt much deeper than anything that either of them had ever felt. But Valmont still wants his prize from Isabel. Why is she mad? Even though he is in love with Marie, they had an agreement and they both know what kind of people the other one is. So why is Isabel upset that he still wants that prize? Well, because she knows that she'll never be able to duplicate the feeling he has with Marie. Their sex would merely be a means to an end, a celebration romp that would be another notch in Valmont's belt, but wouldn't mean anything to him. Isabel has always wanted Valmont's love, but his love for her is different than this deep cosmic love that he has for Marie. Isabel wants that kind of love, but assumed that Valmont didn't have it to give. Now she knows that it's simply not available to her because they're just too similar. And Valmont doesn't have the capacity to love himself the way that Isabel loves herself. Now I'm sure she assumed that Valmont would make it out of that battle alive. That with her declaration of war, they could continue their relationship, substituting their flirty friendship with a tense warfare that could one day be called off with a passionate sexual encounter of some sort to make up for this tryst that they missed. That just wasn't in the cards for our girl. And in the end, we find Isabel back in the same place that the movie started. But instead of being a total baddie, she's taking off all of her battle armor and makeup off. She's a total saddie. And that's it. Should you see it? It's fun to watch. If you have HBO Max, it's currently showing there. You can also rent it wherever movies can be rented. Um, The costumes are great. The acting's immaculate. The cast is so fun. It was nominated for a bunch of awards. And I especially enjoyed watching the tension between John and Michelle on this watch through because I know what I know now. Um, If you've seen Cruel Intentions and you have a spare moment and you're interested, I would definitely recommend. So that's all the time we have for today. Next week, we're going to cover a movie with some very funny racist undertones. And I think I mean that in a good way or as good as I possibly can, I guess. Um, So please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use. And as I stated before, you can rate podcasts on Spotify. So if you're a spotted person, you can show love over there. You can also show love on Apple as well. Uh, Also recommend um, any of these podcasting apps like Podchaser or Good Pods. Always recommend those. Check out Halef Pods Instagram. Um, I haven't been keeping up with it as much, but I have been posting about the films and I will be posting um, for the whiskey contest over there this uh, coming week. Follow me on Twitter at film underscore Nikki and send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to here's looking podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Cheers.